You're listening to the Wellbeing Podcast with Dr. Rani Bora and Liz Scott. In each 10-minute episode, Rani and Liz explore the powerful truth about resilience, resourcefulness, and psychological well-being. And the good news is that it's much more simple than you ever thought. Hello, my name is Liz Scott and I'm a well-being coach and I do a lot of work in education. And my name is Rani Bora, I'm a psychiatrist and a coach. And Rani, today we thought we'd look at this whole area of urges and particularly in your work uh, work with psychiatry, I think you've got a a particular take on this which I I, I think would be very helpful. But for me it's this, this sort of the urge the urgency to act on thoughts and thinking which I'm sure that you come across with your clients um, quite a bit how might you describe it well can I share an example with you so when so people get very frightened of certain feelings and certain experiences and they they seem to feel very very urgent it's like something screaming and say pay attention to me otherwise there is a danger you have to act on it now sort of thing and and how we all get fooled by that we think oh because we we have this sort of panicky feeling that we need to act on it right now and and so when people have uh Suicidal thought sometimes, the, the they that 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 thought itself could bring with it an, a sense of urgency that freaks people out, and and so sort of they might then sort of think that they're only uh, unless they do something about it, uh, sort of um, you know something bad will happen. And I'm talking about something extreme because I know that um, thankfully when people have a, a suicidal thoughts. Uh, I would say, please contact, you know, please contact 99 or your sort of team or anyone. And especially if you feel that the urge is so huge that you might end up sort of acting on it because, you know, that's something that is avoidable because clearly just because you have a thought and it seems very urgent doesn't mean you have to act on it. And I, I hope people will see that, this is really a truth in this. It's not like, oh, but you shouldn't be feeling suicidal or you f- should not be feeling any urgent thoughts because we can't plan what comes to us. So people might not even be thinking anything was, anything to do with killing themselves or harming themselves, but that might just come to them. But then they might feel like, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose it here. Or, uh, they feel so scared that the only way uh, forward is to take action and it's not and, and and what I'm hoping is by us educating people about you know urgent thoughts that they are again thoughts in disguise be it suicidal thoughts be it obsessional thoughts be it ruminating thoughts be it anxious thoughts they are still made of the same you know they come from the same source they might look different one might seem more threatening than the other but just because it looks like that doesn't mean it is threatening and and that you know the only way forward is to act on it i mean that's that's quite um 
I, I, that that for me is quite amazing what you're saying there, and and I and I just want to just repeat it what I've heard there because it's it seems so important that you 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 don't have to act on on thoughts. I mean that's one thing, but also this whole thing that all these different types of thoughts that they're, they're all they all come from the same space. They're all the same. They're all maybe forming a different disguise, but they are coming from the same space. They're made of thought. And with what we've been talking about in previous podcasts, we know that thought shifts and changes. You know what comes to mind? And I can't remember, um, I, I can't remember the book, but I remember there was a children's book. And in this children's book, there was a little fish swimming in, in the sea that I think got quite frightened. Um, and that it was going to get eaten by a shark. And then it met up with a whole shoal of fish. And the, all these other fish were frightened that they were going to get eaten by a shark. And then this shark comes along. And what these this shoal of fish did is they formed themselves oh, to make to look... In, so they became a, a big shark. Or they, they, they all form, made a formation so they looked like an even bigger shark, which frightened the, other, the, the real shark away. And And that shoal of fish is a bit like... Our thoughts—it's like they can—they formed in that instance the shoal of fish, a, a shark, and then they could—they could form into something else. They're still made of fish. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. And and understanding the nature of thought is very freeing. And and you know people from different walks of life—they're going through different experiences and. And it's really important that they feel their experiences are validated, that sort of they are not making it up. They are not just saying I'm suicidal to just get attention because they're not. And if they could sort of really help themselves, they would. And and, and so what I want, I'm trying to say here is that it's so important for us to validate people's experience and at the same time, after we have done so, really point them to what they can't see. Of course, we we might say, okay, I'll look after you, I'll, you know, and we do reassurance, but the, the, the most important thing we could do to help someone is at some point when they are in the space of being able to listen or they're really getting curious now, for them to point that, look... It's really, it's, it's really not a monster out there trying to get you. You know, thought can 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 be an imposter sometimes. You know, it can, it it can, um, it can come up in such a disguise that it really freaks us out. But the more we see the nature of thought, and that thought keeps changing, we have different experiences. People then will realize that they don't have to act on their sort of intense intense thoughts, whatever they are. Can I give you an example mm. here? So a, a, a patient of mine has OCD and then she has to do a few specific rituals every time she passes her room and she told me how um, she was wanting to eat something and uh, upstairs and she was eating something and she remembered she needed to get something downstairs to write down write down her, her reflection or something and she goes down and as she goes down and comes back she sees her room and then sort of she had this urgency she had this urge to do what she always does when she passes her room like four times she has to come in and out and say something nice um and the content is something important but the the thing i'm pointing out to is that she had a strategy 
every time she had this urge, uh, you know, when, whenever she crossed her room, she had this urge to add because otherwise something bad would happen. And then, so when she was going up, she saw her room and part of her was almost wanting to go back to the room. And then she remembered that she had, she was about to eat and um, she said, well, I'll go upstairs. Once she went upstairs, she was still feeling that urge, like, shall I go back? Because I need to, I need to do my ritual, right? And then another thought popped into her head, like, I can't be bothered right now. And she kept eating. And 20 minutes or so later, that urge completely went away. And she was having a different experience. And she told me that she started noticing that even if they feel so compelling, so convincing, and it's like immediate, it's a life and that sort of situation now, and that's how it came to her, the urge, it passed. And she realized more and more that sort of um, the urgency comes and goes and the more attention she pays to it and the more significance she pays to those sort of thoughts, they seem to have a tighter grip on her. Mm. How wonderful is that? Well, that I mean, that for me is, is, is also pointing back to this whole area of insight we've been talking about yes. on previous episodes, which is... You, any of us could have told her until we were blue in the face that she didn't need to do that. Mm. But but she saw something for herself about the transitory nature of thought, how that she might feel compelled and urged to do a ritual, and that when she didn't do that, the thought passed and was replaced. She saw that for herself. She had that experience for herself. And I think that's such a beautiful story. Um because, because okay, somebody might have OCD and have a ritual, but we all we all get compelled by urgent thoughts, whatever they might be, when we're when we're driving and somebody cuts us up in traffic, you know, that that com- compulsion to 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 maybe do a rude gesture or to yeah. to shout or, or to honk the horn, yeah, is like is that compulsion? We all know what it's like to be compelled, and we also know what it's like when when the thought just when that compulsion goes because the thought will just shift and change mm-hmm. that's awesome now I, I i know the other area that w- would be lovely to talk about is um this whole area of gratitude now we're not going to start on it today but i thought maybe for uh, next week's podcast this will be a good one um because gratitude just seems to be like I don't know, it seems to be something that we need to do. We need to be grateful. Yeah. Um, and we're going to kind of look at that and explode that myth, I think, next Good week. Good idea. So uh, next podcast we're going to look at is uh, gratitude. You've been listening to The Wellbeing Podcast with Liz Scott and Dr. Rani Bora. Check out coachingconnect.co.uk and ranibora.com for information, articles and ideas about well-being.